Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Mark chapter number 11 this morning. Mark chapter number 11. And if you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you. You will find a copy of God's Word, and I would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us this morning. Mark chapter 11, you're going to find your place there, verse number 12. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. If you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 11 and verse number 12. We're going to read all the way down to verse uh, number 26 this morning, Mark chapter 11, verse 12 to verse 26. And you'll remember we're studying the final week of Jesus' life. And Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. He's come down now. They've sung his praises. They threw the palm branches out in front of him. That was the Sunday before. And so now he's entering into Jerusalem. He walked to the temple. He turned around. He went back home. Well, this is where we're picking it up now. Verse number 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it. So, so look here. He's talking to the tree. And he says, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple. And he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. And overthrow the tables of the money changers. And the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught saying unto them. Is it not written? That my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priest heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all of the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So look here. Verse 12, 13, 14 he curses this fig tree because the fig tree promises fruit, but it doesn't have any. He goes into the city. He does his thing inside the temple. We're going to talk about that next week. And now it's the next day. And Jesus is coming right back by that same fig tree. And so he walks by the fig tree. Here's what he says. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. The one that he saw the day before. And it was dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance. Peter remembers. Hey, that, that, was the, that was where the tree was yesterday. That was the tree that you cursed. Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, 
that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire, when ye pray, believe that you will receive them and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. Because if any have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. This is a passage about fruit. That is what Jesus is teaching on. He is helping us understand that God intends for there to be fruit in your life. And Jesus is showing us this by example. And the example that he gives us is this fig tree. The fig tree promises on the outside that it is something of substance. It looks as if there are going to be figs. But when Jesus gets to the tree, what it has promised by way of all these leaves, it is not delivering in way of the fruit. You need to understand this. This is not Jesus just being hangry. You ever been hangry before? How many are hangry right now? Should have came to Sunday school class. We had donuts. We, you could have had something to snack on. If you read a lot of commentaries on this passage, what they do is they make it as if Jesus really thought there was going to be figs there. And he gets there and he's really mad and he's angry because he was hungry. And now he didn't get what he wanted. So he curses the fig tree as this, in, this, in this mode of, of anger, this response of rage. That is not what is happening in the text. This is what is happening in the text. Jesus expects there to be fruit. Jesus expects there to be fruit in your life. Jesus expects there to be fruit in my life. The Bible teaches us that where the word of God goes forward, it never returns void. That if we're truly students of the word of God, if the spirit of God truly lives in us, then there will be fruit that is coming out of our lives. And Jesus expects to find fruit in you. And Jesus expects to find fruit in me. So what is the fruit that Jesus expects to find? Well, he answers that in verse 22. Have faith in God. You see, the fruit Jesus expects to find in you is faith in him. And then he answers a second a second understanding. And he says in verse number 25, and when, ye pray, and when ye stand praying, forgive. So here are the two fruits that Jesus expects to find in you and me. That is faith in God and forgiveness of others. So Jesus is going through the leaves of your life and he is saying, is there faith in me? Is there faith in God? Is there forgiveness that you're extending to others around you? If these are the evidences that there is in fact the Holy Spirit working in us. So I'm asking you a question this morning. Here's the question. How's your fruit? How's your fruit? How is your fruit as it relates to faith in God and forgiveness that you are extending to those around your life? 
Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It is easy when you read this passage because there is so much happening in it. It is easy to get lost in all of the palm branches and the turning over the tables. We'll study that next week. And Jesus flips over the tables. He drives out the money changers. And you'll see why next week, why that's so important. But it's easy to get lost and miss the big picture. Jesus is revealing in this passage the religiousness of Israel. He is saying to Israel, you look good on the outside... But you are empty on the inside. The fig tree in the Bible is always symbolic of the nation of Israel. So Jesus is about to step into the temple where Israel is practicing their sacrificial worship to God. This is Passover week. We've already said that. And so Jesus is about to step into the temple. And before he does, he points out this fig tree, which is symbolic of Israel. And he is saying to his disciples, and he is saying to you and to me this morning, that there is a way in which you can have religiousness, but no relationship with God. There is a way where you can project outwardly that you are religious that you are spiritual, that you know about God, that maybe you're even interested in the things of God, but in reality, your heart is far from God. And he is showing us in this passage that Jesus hates this kind of of action. Jesus despises it. Jesus, in fact, in this passage, he curses it. He says to the fig tree, you are cursed. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. You'll remember this. They're throwing down the palm branches in front of Jesus. They're declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna. Here comes Messiah in order to save us. And they're thinking that this is some kind of political campaign from Jesus. That he's coming to set them free from the Romans. And yet Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't overthrow the government. He doesn't start this massive rebellion or or a revolution. And so what happens? The people, they stop singing. They go away from him. They put down their palm branches and they walk away. And a few days from here, they will begin to gather together and chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus is saying, you are the fig tree. You outwardly project loyalty to God, but you inwardly walk away whenever God is not doing what you think he ought to be doing. And he's pulling back the curtain on empty religion. You need to hear me very clearly this morning. The matter of Christians bearing fruit is not optional with God. God expects fruit from every branch And in fact, Jesus says in John chapter 15 that without fruit, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to glorify God. And that in fact, if you and I are true followers of Jesus, if we are true disciples of Christ, there will be fruit in our lives. So three things here about this passage. First, notice the inspection for fruit. That's really found in verse number 13. Seeing the fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came. If happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not 
yet. So Jesus went looking for fruit and he finds nothing but leaves. That's, that's the, the illustration. From a distance, it looked as if because of the leaves and because of the shape, it looked as if there would be figs. But when he got there, there were no figs. So the tree was saying outwardly, hey, I have fruit. But when Jesus arrives at the tree, there is, in fact, no fruit. And here, this is important to recognize. How would Jesus, why would Jesus think that there's fruit on this fig tree? And here's why. Because in this part of the world with fig trees, fruit always comes before the leaves. So if you were to see a fig tree with leaves, you would expect fruit because fruit always comes before the leaves on the fig tree. So Mark is pointing out the tree has leaves. And so the tree should have fruit. Maybe the tree has fruit because it's in uh, fertile soil. Maybe the, the tree has leaves and fruit because someone is taking special care and paying close attention to it. Whatever reason it is bl blossoming already, the reality is, is that there is no fruit on the tree. It is a fruitless tree. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus curses the tree. He pronounces its destruction. And in fact, that it did, it did in fact do this. It dies. Look at verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. In other words, the tree gave a profession that it had fruit, but it was not possessing what it was professing. You hear me? It was not possessing what it was professing. It was saying we have fruit on our branches. But in reality, there was no fruit on the branches. So let's talk about this for you and for me this morning. There are many people who go through the motions of religion... They have all the leaves of an outward profession. But the reality of the matter is that there is no fruit in their heart. You've never truly been born again. They may have all of the leaves of religion, but they do not have a life that is consistent with religion. They, they may have a profession of religion, but they are not possessing an inward relationship with Christ. You see, friends, you can go to church every Sunday, but if you do not know Jesus Christ personally, if you do not have relationship with him by faith, if you have not turned from your self-righteousness and your arrogance and your selfishness and your sin and believed only on Jesus, then there is no fruit. You can bring your Bible to church. You can carry it around with you. You can give your money to the poor. You can clothe the needy. You can do all of these outward signs. But the question is not, are there outward signs? The question is, where is your heart? Are you inwardly possessing what you are outwardly professing? Is there a relationship that you have with Jesus Christ? 
Jesus says later in Mark chapter, or Matthew rather, chapter 7, by their fruit ye shall know them. There are multiple places in the New Testament where we are, we are meant to examine ourselves. There are all kinds of passages that indicate actually the necessity of self-examination. That our eternal salvation is the most valuable thing that you and I can possess. But if you and I are saying that we have a relationship with God, that we have salvation and forgiveness from sin, that we have believed on Jesus Christ, that you and I are professing that this has happened, then there ought to be, in fact, a way that we can look at our lives and test the profession that we have made. Now, there's all kinds of places like this. You could turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. And you could find there a passage of scripture that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded sermon from Jesus. Maybe not, maybe not the longest, but it's the longest recorded one. And the Sermon on the Mount could easily be defined as a test of your salvation. That Jesus proposes in this sermon that we test whether we are in fact right with God. In fact, just go over there with me. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Go there with me. Go to Matthew chapter 5. And here's what he is saying. Blessed, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They've obtained mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You notice what he's saying? He's talking about the attitude in which we are living with in this world. Are you possessing an attitude that's meek and pure in spirit and hungering and thirsting after righteousness and merciful? Are you pure in heart? Are you a peacemaker? Are, are you these things? Jesus is saying you can examine your own salvation. You can test it with this. Are you possessing these things? Jesus is not asking you and I if we are making some outward profession of faith. He is asking us, look in your heart. Are you possessing these things in your response? Were you last week poor in spirit? Were you last week making peace? Were you last week merciful? Were you last week or this morning truly hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Are you longing after the things of God? Are you hungry for a knowledge of God? Are you hungry for the word of God? Are you hungry for the spirit of God to have his way in your life? Are you hungry for the will of God to be done through your life? Are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Jesus is saying you should, you should test your attitude with these things. He goes on from there. You can pick that up really in verse number 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. 
And neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So Jesus is saying, not only does a true profession of faith come with an inward possession of an attitude that is hungry for the things of God. Not only that, but it also has a lifestyle in which follows after this. It is a light in a dark place. You're salt in the world. He's saying that the testimony that you are living out will be consistent with the attitude that you say is inward inside of you. You could keep going through this passage. You could pick up in chapter uh, 5, verse number 17. He talks about being committed to the word of God. He says in verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall do and teach them, shall, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice what he's saying. He is saying your your profession of salvation can be tested by your love and obedience to the word of God. So he's talking about your attitude. He's talking about your life. He's talking about your love and your obedience to the word of God. In verse number 21, all the way down to verse number 28. We won't read all of this, but he talks about the importance of keeping righteousness in your heart. So he's saying, test your attitude. It tests, tests the way in which you are living in this world. Test your obedience to the word of God. Test your heart for righteousness. That's the entire section where he is saying, you have heard it, it's been said this, well, I say unto you this. You have heard it was said this, well, I say unto you this. He is saying, test your righteousness. And there's an entire section, he, said, he goes all the way through this entire sermon. And he says, this is what you are projecting on the outside but what are you actually possessing on the inside? It's not just the Sermon on the Mount that shows us this. You can find this in 1 John. John is greatly concerned about the, the matter of a valid saving faith. And John is saying you cannot say that you are in the light if you are walking in darkness. You cannot say that Jesus is living in you if you, in fact, are rejecting what Jesus says for you. You, you. you may be making a profession, but you are not possessing what you are professing. And I will just tell you this, friend. Churches are full of professing Christians. But Jesus is not interested simply in your profession. He is interested in what you are possessing. So I am not this morning asking you if you've prayed a prayer. I am not asking you this morning if you've been to church. I'm not asking you this morning if your parents took you to church as a young kid. I'm not asking you if you give your money to the poor or if you help clothe the needy. I am not asking you about your religiosity. I am asking you about your relationship with God. 
Take Matthew 5, 6 and 7 and hold it up as a mirror to yourself and self-examine. What is your attitude like this week? What were your life choices like this week? What is your spirit toward the word of God? Even right now, as the word of God is being preached, are you hungering for the word? Do you want to know the word? Or is the word just some kind of religious tool to you? Are you hungering after God in this way? These are the ways in which we are to be examining our salvation. Jesus is inspecting for fruit in our lives. And Jesus is pulling back all of the leaves. And he is saying, where is the fruit? It's an inspection for fruit. But it's not just that. It is second, the inconsistency of the tree. The inconsistency of the tree. It did not produce what it promised it produced. It promised fruit. It promised figs. But there in fact were no figs. By our very name we are, we are Christians. We are Christ followers. You are a Christian. I'm a Christian. If, if you're a believer in Jesus, this is what you are according to the Bible. That, that we should then possess, we should then be producing what we are promising that we are. We should, we should, have, the, we should have a Christ-like disposition. We should have a, a Christ-like personality. We should have a Christ-like home. We should participate in Christ-like activities. That when people see us, they see Christ in us so that, Paul, as Paul says, Christ might be magnified in our bodies. And most people see this life as simply an expression of self. They're simply going through life just wanting to do what they want to do. So they do what they want. They do when they want to do it. They do it with whoever they want to do it with. And they even declare things like, well, no one's in charge of me. No one gets to say what I get to do. I have my rights. We are a generation that is so self-conscious about our own rights. And yet Christ is calling us over and over again. Humble yourselves. Walk after me in this way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus is saying, Paul is telling us, let that mind which Jesus had, let it be in us if we are truly followers of Christ. Is the inconsistency of the tree. You see, if the inward part is right, then you and I can handle whatever else may be happening circumstantially. L listen to, uh, listen to, to, to Proverbs here. Solomon says, the infirmities of a man may be great, but a wounded spirit who can bear. You see, the outward part of you, you could probably put up with a whole lot of stuff that's happening around you. But if, but if you have a wounded spirit inside of you, well, that's difficult. He says that there is a peace that passeth all understanding. 
That there's, there's a way in which you can go through this world and you can suffer and you can have tribulation and you can have trouble and you can have trial and things can be difficult, but you can still maintain peace. You can still maintain joy. You can still maintain confidence. Being confident, in fact, Paul says, of this very thing, that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. This is how the Christian is going through this life. This is how the Christian is, is experiencing this life. It is not saying that everything around our lives has to be the way that we want it to be or even thought it ought to be. It is saying that we are in pursuit of Christ and we are in pursuit of Christ with all that we are, all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, that we are using every part of us, the physical part of us, the emotional part of us, the mental part of us, and the spiritual part of us to pursue God. That we are in pursuit of Christ. I see, it is, it is not enough for the people in this story in Mark 11 to simply praise Jesus as he walks into Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna. But as soon as Jesus is being led to the cross, they betray him. It is not enough to come into the house of God when you are only coming for your own gain or your own profitability or to ease your own troubled conscience. I'm always amazed at how much time we spend getting ready outwardly. And we just run past getting ready inwardly, spiritually. We, we want to make sure that we are outwardly projecting, that we have it all together. But are we inwardly possessing what we're outwardly projecting? You see, bearing fruit has everything to do with pleasing God. It is so easy to focus only on what we are doing, only on how we are looking, only on what other people are saying, and to ignore what we are in fact becoming or who we in fact are or what in fact we are supposed to be doing. The sermon is an excellent opportunity to ask yourself the question. Why am I here? What, what did I come here for? What was I hoping to accomplish? What was I hoping to learn? What was I hoping to hear? Did, did I come with a, with a heart to praise and worship and learn? And grow in the things and the word of God? Did I walk through the back door and that was my thought? This is my opportunity to gather with the people of God, sing the praises of God, study the word of God, and, and, and enjoy the spirit of God as he moves among us? Did you walk in the back door thinking that? Or did you walk in the back door this morning thinking, where is she? Because I want to make sure I don't sit by her. Or where is he? Because I want to make sure that I see him. Or how do I look? Because I want to make sure that. Do you see? You see how easy it is 
to just go through the mundane motions of religiosity and just think that because, as James said, we heard the word, that that was enough? No, 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 friend. Do not be a hearer of the word only. No, no, no. Be a, be a doer of the word. Because if you simply hear the word, you'll deceive yourself and you'll think that hearing the word was all that was necessary. No, 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 no. Be a doer of the word also. The inconsistency of the tree. If you, in fact, were honest this morning, and if I was, in fact, honest, I'd have to say that there are more times in my life where I am not producing the fruit that I profess to be producing in my life. There are more times than not where I am not having a Christ-like attitude, where I am not responding in a Christ-like way, where I am not poor in spirit and trying to make peace and trying to be slow to respond and trying to be quick to listen, where I am, in fact, not offering forgiveness and mercy and grace to those who I have perceived to have wronged me, And let us not be trees with leaves but no fruit. Let us ask God to allow there to be fruit of faith in God and forgiveness to others in our lives. So I give you this third and last. It's the instruction for fruit. So how do I make sure that fruit is being produced in my life? Look at verse number 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. So what is the remedy? What is the remedy? The remedy is have faith in God. Be deeply planted in the things that we believe about God. Be deeply planted rooted in Jesus Christ. Allow the love that Christ has for you to go deep in your heart and in your mind. And allow your thoughts and your responses to go deep into what Christ has modeled and exampled for us. You know this, that when you have deep roots... The storms of life cannot blow you over. But if you do not have deep roots, as soon as the wind blows, you are uprooted. This is a warning then. Have faith in God. Find your value not in the things of this world, but find your value in the word of God. God. Psalm 103, giving us the same example about how we ought to be bearing fruit. And he says this, Psalm 103, As for man, his days are like grass, and as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. And when the wind passed over it, it is no more, and it is, and in its place acknowledges it no longer. The psalmist is giving us the same idea. 
that, that you and I have but a few short moments here in this world. And so we should be seen to it that we are holding to the things that God has for us, that we are valuing the values God has for us, that we are not living for ourselves, but we are living for God. Go, go, to, uh, go to James. I want to show you this verse in James. James communicates this very idea all, all the way, almost to the back of the Bible, okay? So if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's almost to the back. It's James chapter 1. You'll find Revelation. That's probably the easiest book in the back to find. Just, just start walking forward. You'll come to it. It's a tiny little book, maybe three pages long in your Bible. James chapter 1. Look at verse number 9. James is talking about the same idea. Look at verse number nine. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but let the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. The sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also is the rich man, so, so also the rich man fade away in his ways. Do you see what James is saying? James is saying, there's really four verbs that he's applying to us. He is saying, we pass away, we wither, we fall off, we are destroyed. All of us go through seasons like this in our lives. So how, how can we maintain that we are flourishing and growing? How can we be sure that we're bringing forth fruit in all of our lives? Well, he is saying this. He is saying that the poor man should find his sense of self-respect and value in Christ. And he is saying that the rich man should have a sense of self-awareness in Christ in this life. He is saying value Christ. That is what he is saying. Do not find your value in anything other than Christ. The people in Mark chapter 11 are people who are finding their value not in Christ, but in their religion. They are thinking, we are rich because we are religious. But they in fact were poor. They had nothing. And so Jesus says, here's a fig tree. It outwardly projects this, that it has substance, that it has life, that it has fruit, but it inwardly possesses nothing. So how can we value our relationship with Christ then? Let me give you three ways, just very, very simply. This is the practical part. And I want you to pay close attention here. Three ways. First, you must cultivate your relationship with God. You must cultivate your relationship with God. Hear me, friend. No one naturally drifts in the direction of God. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here's what that verse is teaching us. That verse is teaching us that you and I don't wake up in the morning, hear birds singing, drink a cup of coffee and go, "Woo! I feel like being poor in spirit today. You've never woke up feeling that way. 
You've never sat in traffic and immediately felt merciful to the person who cut in front of you. That is not the natural way in which we respond. We are not naturally forgiving. You know what we are as people? We are naturally vindictive. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Said something bad about me, I'm going to say something bad about you. Oh, well, they said that about me. Let me tell you what I know about her. That's pretty close to the motions you're actually doing there too, isn't it? No, no, you must cultivate a relationship with God, which is to say that you must be intentional. You and I are never to just be floating or drifting through life because if we're just floating or drifting, we will not respond the way in which God has called us to. No, God has called us to be intentional in the way in which we're responding. So before I just, man, send that email to my boss and tell him what I really think, I'm just going to take a second. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to get some counsel about it, perhaps. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm going to be quick to listen. We are quick to post We are quick to speak. We are very, we're very slow when it comes to listening. We are the exact opposite of what he is calling us to do. And here's what I am telling you. We are all this way. We are all like this. So you must, how can I have fruit in my life then? You must cultivate a right relationship with God. You must be intentional in this way. Let me give you a second. How can we do this? How can we cultivate, how can we be intentional in responding the way that God wants us to respond in this world? Second, be consistent in your Bible reading and your prayer. Be consistent in your Bible reading and prayer. Now, I will tell you this. All of the Bible is the inspired word of God. Yes, all of the Bible is the inspired word of God. That's what the, the scripture teaches that. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All of the Bible is the inspired word of God. But not all of the Bible is interesting. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. So what are we doing in this chapter, right? And so sometimes the reason why we fade off in our Bible reading is because we're trying to read something that we are not is not immediately speaking to where we are living. So I would tell you this. Find a passage of scripture and read the passages of scripture that are interesting to you. How many of you like blood and guts? Let me see. How many of you like blood and guts? Okay. Go to the book of Judges. It's full of blood and guts. Everybody's killing everybody in that book. I wouldn't suggest reading it before you go to bed. It might give you nightmares. I'm not for sure. Some of us are more... You know, we're a little more wrapped up in our own thoughts, our own feelings. If that's how you are, read the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is one huge book of all the emotions that David is feeling. And David is angry. David is mad. David is crying. David is happy. David is rejoicing. David is praising. The Psalms are this huge record of all the emotions that David is feeling. If you want to know about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, the, it's, a, it's a narrative of the life of Jesus. What I'm telling you is you have to find something. You have to, you have to start somewhere. 
So how, how can I be intentional in the way in which I am responding if I do not know, in fact, what God is telling me, the ways in which God is telling me to respond? So I must be intentional in what I am reading. And I must intentionally spend time in prayer and Bible reading every day. I'm asking you this morning to make the commitment to spend at least five minutes every day in prayer. Now, some of you, you can do much more than that. And you ought to do much more than that. Some of you can spend an hour in prayer. That's great. The rest of us, we like the snooze button on our alarm. So we get up a little bit later than we should. I'm asking you this morning, commit to spend at least five minutes in God's word every day. You must commit to this. We must cultivate a relationship with God. We must be consistent in our Bible reading and prayer. Third, we must be committed in our involvement with others. We must be committed in our involvement with others. So how, how are we visibly, tangibly, how are we going to see God working in our world? What are the ways in which God works in our world? The way in which God has purposed himself to work in this world is through his people. It's through his people. So if you and I are going to bring and bear fruit in our lives, it's because we are committing ourselves to not simply be casual observers of church culture. It's because you and I are committing ourselves to be involved, personally invested with the people of which we gather together in church every week, fellowship, praise, worship together, sing together. It's being involved, committed in this way. It's asking the person behind you their name. You know the person behind you actually has a name. It isn't just brother or sister, okay? They actually have a name, and then it's learning their name, and then praying for them, and then engaging in prayer with them, asking them, how can I pray for you? When's the last time you asked someone that? Someone who you go to church with every week. We're passing each other in the hallway. Hey, hey, brother, hey. And we're just trying to hurry up and get to our car. And we aren't slowing down and investing. We aren't slowing down and involving. We aren't saying this is the visible, tangible demonstration of God working in our world today. God chooses to work through his people in the church. And so we should be, we should be careful in this making sure that we are committing ourselves and involving ourselves in this way. What I'm, what I'm saying to you very practically, make the commitment to be in church. I'm, I'm saying to you, get plugged in right here at First Baptist. Join a connection group, a Sunday school class. The church is not meant to be a place where you just come and sit. No, the church is meant to be a place where you come and serve if you sit, you just soak and sour. And you end up with, a, with an attitude that stinks. 
No, but if you come and you serve and you give and you love and you pray, man, you are then producing a fruit in your life which is pleasing and honoring to God. The world looks at what we are doing this morning and they are going, are you people crazy? And we're saying no. No, we are not crazy, but we do not value the same things you value. We value the word of God and we value the people of God. And we are living our lives in obedience to his word and we are living our lives in service, in service to others. The apostles come to Jesus. They're afraid that Jesus is leaving. Jesus says to them in John 14, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Two ways. First, your love for God. Second, your love for others. Here's how, here's how you'll show the fruit. Here's how you'll inwardly possess what you are outwardly professing. Love God and love others. Serve God, obeying his word, and serve others, the people that God has put around your life. 